story goes that uh, when he was recruiting his team for one of his perilous and ambitious expeditions, Ernest Shackleton put out an ad reading, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. As great an ad as that is, Unfortunately, in all likelihood, its placement in the London Times or in any other newspaper uh, is little more than a story. After many people have searched for it for years, nobody has been able to actually put their hands on the original. Though this ad itself is a fiction, it points us to two things that we know are facts about Ernest Shackleton and his expeditions. First of all... His expeditions had no problems whatsoever securing volunteers. One of his expeditions, probably the one that he is most well known for, the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition, had more than 5,000 people rushing to Shackleton's office to apply to be a part of it. The second thing we know is true is that those people, those men who signed up to go with Shackleton on his dangerous journeys had no question whatsoever about what they were getting into. Regardless of pointed ad copy, they knew what they were signing up for. And we too, we knew what we were signing up for when we decided to follow Christ. However, sometimes over the years, our memory fades. Our fervor wanes. And when this is the case, it's good to be reminded. Last week and this, we are intentionally remembering what it was that we signed up for when we decided to follow Christ. Last week, we remembered that we signed up to be all in. And this week, we are remembering that unlike the earthly honor and recognition that Shackleton's men were promised, when we signed up to follow Christ, we signed up to expect no recognition. We signed up to demand no honor. We signed up to take no credit. Now certainly this is a truth that we see throughout Scripture. But today we're going to focus on a passage in John, John chapter 6. And we're going to look at this passage because like the verses that we looked at last week in Luke, uh, John 6 is making it very clear what those who follow Jesus are signing up for. And like Shackleton, Jesus is not sugarcoating anything. So if you have a Bible, turn it to John 6. If you have a phone or something that you use, go ahead and direct it to that passage, and we'll spend some time there this morning. Now, I want to say off the bat that John chapter 6 is a complex, it's a multi-layered passage. We could spend weeks just looking at this chapter, exploring the layers of truth that Jesus is communicating about who he is and about what it means to follow him. But this morning, our goal is to be reminded of what we signed up for. Our goal is to be reminded that we signed up to take no credit. So I'm going to intentionally ignore a number of really great aspects of this text 
in order to focus in on that one thing. The chapter begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. And the people that were there all really enjoyed that. They were really grateful for that because they got a full belly. So they chase him down because they're looking for more food for their stomachs. Because they know that food for their stomachs means life for their bodies. And Jesus, Jesus offers them something better. Jesus offers them food for them, their souls that brings fullness of life both now and into eternity. And the crowd is curious about this. They might even be interested until Jesus tells them that this food for their souls only comes through believing in him because he is the bread of life. He himself is the food that they're looking for. And when they hear this, they go from being possibly interested to being skeptical and grumbling. They're grumbling because they want what Jesus is offering, but they don't really want it from him. They grew up with him. They knew him. They think, how could this son of a carpenter from back home in little rinky-dink Nazareth, how could he call himself the bread of life? How can Jesus say he came down from heaven? They just weren't buying it. So they grumble. They complain. Shackleton was willing to lay out the brutal truth of what he was looking for, and people flocked to it. Jesus lays out an offer of eternal life through him, and people grumble. And If we're honest, we would have to recognize this morning that there are times when we consider Christ's offer of life and if we remember what it truly entails and what it might truly cost us, that we can grumble too. So we do well. To open up our hearts even as we open God's word this morning. And allow Jesus to point out where we might need to be reminded. That when we signed up to follow him, we signed up to take no credit. Let's look at John chapter 6 verse 43. We'll start, I'll start reading there. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
I love the way that these verses open up. It's just another instance where Jesus pulls no punches. I imagine that he's speaking to this crowd and there are these people over off to the side and they're, oh, can you, he's from Nazareth. We know they're grumbling under their breath, whispering, thinking Jesus doesn't observe their murmurings in the back of the classroom. And of course he does. And he says, stop grumbling. They're grumbling about coming to him in belief. They're grumbling about potentially following him because at the end of the day, they don't want to follow him. And Jesus tells them to knock it off. And then he basically says, look, if you're so worried about following me, don't worry about it. You'll only come to me if the Father draws you anyway. And that's because belief in Jesus is, in reality, belief in what God is doing through Jesus. That's why Jesus here quotes the Old Testament, quotes Isaiah 53, 13, where the prophet Isaiah is talking about a time that for Isaiah is in the future, where God himself would rebuild what had been demolished. God would rebuild it both at a physical level Uh, rebuilding the city and at a personal level, personally teaching his people about himself. Jesus tells the crowd to stop grumbling about coming to him for life because coming to Jesus in belief and receiving life in him isn't just about coming to Jesus. It's about coming to God the Father. And it's not hard to imagine then or now someone saying, well, if it's about coming to the Father, how, how do we do that? How do we come to somebody we haven't seen? How do we believe in God the Father when he's hidden from us? Jesus acknowledges this in verses 46 and 47. And at the same time that he acknowledges that it's hard to believe in one you have not seen, he again declares that belief in him, belief in Jesus, is the only path to life. Jesus is the bread that brings life. Jesus has seen the Father who draws us to him. And it is only belief in Jesus that brings eternal life. It's common, and and it's all too easy for any of us to, like the crowd thousands of years ago, want an experience of something bigger than ourselves, to want bread for our souls. But... To want it on my terms. It's all too easy, even for those who are willing to come to Christ to feed their souls, to somehow think that it is our righteousness, our intelligence, something within ourselves that brings us to belief in Christ. And we forget that it's God who worked in us to draw us to the life that we hunger for. So instead of forgetting, we need to remember that when we signed up to follow Christ, we signed up to take no credit. This becomes all the more clear in verses 47 and following. Jesus points back to a story that the crowd would have been familiar with, and many of us are as well, to illustrate what he's talking about when he calls himself the bread of life. He points back to the Israelites eating manna in the wilderness. And just as the manna came from God, Jesus comes from God. And just as the manna provided sustenance in a place that was otherwise barren, 
otherwise desert. Jesus provides life in a world otherwise devoid of it. Manna was the bread that sustained physical life. Jesus is saying that he is the bread that opens the door to fullness of life, both now and into eternity. I love this picture of manna because it's such a clear reminder that we can't take credit for signing up to follow Christ. Could the Israelites take credit for the manna that they gathered each morning? No. They didn't plant it. They didn't water it. They didn't cultivate it. They didn't harvest it. All they did was open up the door to their tent, walk out, and there it is on the ground. They pick it up, and they eat, and they have life. We can't take credit for God sending Jesus to give us life. We didn't do anything to make it happen. All we can do is believe and receive. And when we do that, we remember that we can take no more credit for the life we receive from Christ than the Israelites could have taken for the manna that fed them as they wandered in the wilderness. That brings us up to verses 50, verse 51. And in verse 51, Jesus sums up what he's been saying, and he draws a couple of new conclusions. And he does this with four pretty straightforward statements. First, he says, I'm the bread. Secondly, he says, you've got to eat the bread to get the life. Then he starts to push it further. He starts to draw some new conclusions. And he says, the bread is my flesh. And I give my flesh for the life of the world. Jesus is saying, look, you don't get life simply by knowing about bread, but by eating it. And in the same way, you don't really step into the, in the same way, we don't step into the life that Jesus offers just by knowing about him, but by believing in him. It's a reminder that life comes from something outside of us, not from something within ourselves. The fullness of life that we long for will never come about by looking more inside and trying to find it within us. The fullness of life that we need comes from belief in Christ, not from ourselves. We can't work our way into life through our own effort anymore that we can avoid becoming dehydrated by swallowing our own spit. Life comes from outside us, so we can't take the credit. And that's what Jesus is saying at the end of verse 51 when he says, This bread is my flesh, which I give for the world. The sustenance we need comes from outside ourselves, and it isn't earned, it isn't worked for, it's given. What a beautiful truth. Have you been looking for something on your own efforts, in your own self? You haven't been able to find it? Are are you weary of that? Come to Jesus. He gives himself for the life of the world. It's a beautiful truth. But by the time we get to the end of verse 51, 
we also look at the way that Jesus is expressing this beautiful truth. And I think we would be right to say, um, starting to get a little awkward. What? I mean, we can be okay with this abstract idea of Jesus saying that he's the bread of life. But he's not leaving it in the abstract anymore. He's pushing it beyond that. He's saying that his bread, the bread is his flesh and that we need to eat it. So we're right to ask, what, what's going on here? What's he talking about? Let's read the rest of our passage uh, for this morning, and then we'll deal with some of these difficulties and discover what Jesus is teaching. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them." Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your, your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So the crowd that Jesus was talking with has moved from grumbling to arguing. And as Jesus talks about the bread of life being his flesh, they move from being skeptical to full-on antagonistic. And they're not just arguing, they're arguing sharply. For the, Jesus, for the people that Jesus was talking to, what he had been saying was difficult. And then it moves to being offensive. I think for many of us, we probably would be okay up until about verse 51. Jesus came down from heaven. Okay, Jesus is the bread of life. Okay, the bread is his flesh and we have to eat it. Uh, now it gets tough. Tough to understand, tough to apply. And the difficulty is only increased when we read verse 53 where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This increases the difficulty to be sure, but it increases the value as well. Because it's here that Jesus bluntly teaches, just as he did last week, exactly what it means to follow him. When Jesus says, unless you, what he's saying is, if you want to follow me, if you're signing up for belief in Christ, you've got to know that this is a part of it. So we want to pay attention. We need to pay attention. But to pay attention, we've got to understand it first. So let's start there. And as we begin in working to understand this, let's start with what it's not. First of all, this isn't cannibalism. Jesus isn't saying that his followers should take a chomp out of his arm, okay? That's not only repulsive, it's impossible and doesn't follow the logic of what John is writing. Though John is writing about a situation where people were face-to-face -face with Jesus, he's writing for an audience that never would have had that opportunity. And we know that Jesus' offer of life 
isn't only for those who had physical access to his body 2,000 years ago. This isn't cannibalism. So then, as believers, our minds would likely jump to the idea of communion to understand what Jesus is saying, right? After all, on the surface, this seems similar to Jesus' discussion with his disciples when he's instituting the Lord's Supper. Just before he's betrayed and crucified, Jesus is eating a Passover meal with his disciples, and he takes bread, and after he breaks it, he gives it to them, and he says, this is my body. We'll remember that together in a couple of minutes at the end of the service. But while there are some surface similarities here to communion, we start to dig a little deeper and we see that things don't totally line up. For one thing, in each of the accounts of Jesus instituting communion, he gives the disciples bread and he calls it his body. Throughout this chapter, throughout this account, that's not the word that Jesus uses. Instead, he uses the word flesh. These are two different words in our English translations, and there are two different words in the Greek uh, underneath our English translations. What Jesus is commanding here is more drastic. It's more visceral than his teachings on communion. And additionally, We've got to recognize that though we know the end of the story as we read this part, the audience, both that was right there physically with Jesus and John's original readers, would not have known the end of the story when they were reading chapter 6. Up until this point, Jesus has no references to communion. There's no reason to think, if you were coming across this the first time, that Jesus would be talking about what we now call communion. Additionally, uh, whenever uh, the Word talks about communion, whenever Scripture talks about communion, whether in the Gospels or elsewhere, it's always in the context of an actual meal. There's no actual meal going on here. So at the end of the day, we recognize that to understand this, as referring to communion, would likely push us toward an untenable understanding of what is happening when we remember Jesus with bread and juice. We believe that in communion we are eating bread and drinking juice as a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ. We do not believe that we are somehow actually eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. Communion is a visible expression of the gospel. It's the one that we can see and touch and taste. It nourishes our souls. And it's an invaluable reminder of our Lord Jesus. But it is not, in some sense, mystical or otherwise, the actual body and blood of Jesus sacrificed for us. Communion is not a way of eating Jesus' flesh. Now, I said earlier that this chapter is rich and multi-layered, so let me just say that there may be some connections between what Jesus is saying here and communion, but I don't believe that understanding chapter 6 in light of communion is the best way to understand it, nor is communion primarily what Jesus is talking about. 
Okay. So if it's not about cannibalism and it's not about communion, what is Jesus talking about here? This passage is an invitation from Jesus into fullness of life through belief in him. It's an offer from Jesus to find what our souls need by coming to him. And in that offer, it's a reminder that we will never find it apart from him. And it's a reminder that when we find what we are looking for in Jesus, we can take no credit for it. To see this a little bit more clearly, let's look at this passage. Let's look at John 6 in comparison with other passages in John's gospel. Twice in this chapter, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Once he says, I am the living bread. These are statements that John uses multiple times in his gospel. These I am statements where Jesus says, I am, and then uh, relates himself to some kind of physical object or some other kind of thing to teach about who he is and what he came to do. Let's take a quick look at these other instances in John's gospel to help us understand what's going on here. We're going to run through them, so if you want to look at them more quickly, grab a pen, jot these down as we go, or later on in the week, pull up Bible Gateway or version or whatever you use, Look at John's gospel and search for instances of I am, and then you can go through them that way as well. This is actually the first I am statement in John, uh, here in chapter 6. The second we see in chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. There, and again in chapter 9, he invites us into walking in the light and working in the light rather than in the dark. Then in chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And a couple of verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. And here Jesus is inviting us to be saved by entering into his family, his flock, through himself as the gate. He invites us to listen to his voice and come under his loving shepherding care. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Both of these, Jesus is referring to ideas rather than something physical. So they're not quite as similar as the other passages, the other I am statements in John, to this passage uh, where Jesus is saying that he is the bread of life. Then in chapter 15, we have the last I am statement that connects to some kind of a physical object. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he invites us to remain in him in order that we would bear much fruit rather than withering and dying. In each of these instances, Jesus is calling out to any who would listen. He's saying, I am what you need. Come to me. Find bread to feed you. Find light to walk by. A shepherd to guide. A vine to sustain. In each of these, in order to receive what Jesus offers, we have to fully receive who he is. Do we want to see clearly? So that we can make sense of the world around us, we've got to open our eyes to Jesus, the light. Do we want Jesus to lead and care for us as a shepherd? 
We have to come into the fold through the gate. We have to listen to his voice rather than all the other noise that would be clamoring for our attention. Do we want to live our lives to produce good, wholesome fruit? We have to remain connected to him, the vine. Do we want life that comes from bread? We have to fully partake. We have to eat. And by doing so, just like the branch connected to the vine, we remain in Christ and he in us. In each of these statements, Jesus has what we crave. He has what we need. And in each of these statements, we receive it only by coming to him and fully partaking in what he offers. And in all of these, once we receive what Jesus provides, we're reminded that he alone has provided it. He alone gets the credit, the recognition, the honor. We take none for ourselves. So as we prepare to remind ourselves through communion what Jesus has done for us, let's remember that again, that he gets all the credit. He has done what we cannot. He gives, we accept. He provides, we receive. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never fully come to Christ. You can come now. In Him is life. He provides forgiveness of sin through the sacrifice of himself on our behalf. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could enter into the fullness of life that he offers. Sign up this morning to follow Jesus. You won't get credit. Earthly honor and recognition aren't a part of the deal. But Jesus says this. Jesus says to us, whoever acknowledges me before others... I will acknowledge them before God. If you've never done that, if you've never submitted to Christ as Lord and you're not there yet, I would ask that as we pass the plates with the bread and the juice that you would let it pass by. Communion is those for who... Uh, is for those who know and love Jesus. It's an opportunity for us to remember who he is and what he has done. It's a time to receive, again, with gratitude, the life that he offers. Uh, not in bread and in juice, but the life that he offers in what he did, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection.